0: Good morning. Welcome to Southridge. We are honored and glad to have you all here this morning. God is doing some great things here at our church. Just excited to have each and every one of you. Glad that you are here. Take your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 42. Genesis chapter number 42. Good to see you. Genesis 42. We're in a series entitled Living a Better Story. We're looking at this topic and we're discussing what it takes for our lives to be more than just what others would expect of us. That we would say, God, I want to have a life that is something greater than what I'm currently doing. I want to have a life that not that I need to be uh, uh, sung praise about, but Lord, I want to have a life that it matters, that I was here, that I made a difference, that I had an impact and that my life told a better story. I wasn't just here to just kind of work a job and uh, just kind of buy stuff, sell stuff and um, you know, uh, just just have a good time, but I actually did something with the life that you gave me. And I made a difference. And so we're studying that, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph is a life where on the outset, you just kind of look at him and you just think the deck is stacked against this guy. Like, I mean, this guy is going to go through the ringer. It's going to be difficult, but God does some incredible things through the life of Joseph. And so we've been going kind of week by week and we've been spending a lot of time studying the character of Joseph. And beginning in Genesis chapter number 42, let's pick it up in verse number one of chapter 42. And let's kind of read and look at this together and ask God to have our hearts opened and uh, ask God to do something great. I believe each and every Sunday, if we come with a heart that says, God speak to me, God will do some incredible things in your life. You see, I believe that seed has to have good soil to produce fruit. A seed is great, but if it doesn't have soil. The seed is useless, correct? So God wants to take the seed of his word and bury it deep into the soil of your heart. But sometimes we could be what the gospel writers said that we can have hard soil or soil that needs to be broken up or what I like to call is tired soil or I'm running late soil or I've got things on my mind soil or get me out of here soil. I mean, we could just be really distracted. So this morning, I'm asking God that you would have a mind that says, Lord, just speak to me, that we have a heart that God says I'm ready and I'm alert and I'm excited to hear what God has for us. So can we all agree together that we will just respond whatever God says to us this morning. If that's our heart, I know God will do some great things. Genesis chapter number 42. Notice verse number one. Here's what the scripture tells us. It says, now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? And basically saying, hey, why are you guys standing around here? We're starving. There's no food. Go get some groceries. Go to Costco. Go to Taco Bell. Go get us some food. Well, this grocery trip is going to be really a flashpoint or a turning point in the life of these brothers. Because if we were to go back chronologically, 20 years prior, they had taken their younger brother Joseph, thrown him into an abandoned well, and then sold him, and he was sold into slavery in Egypt, and they honestly thought their brother's gone, he's dead, we're never going to hear from him again. They're thinking, we got away with it. Easy. Easy. Awesome, we got away with it. But notice what happens, verse number two. And he said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Go down hither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. This sounds like a teenager talking to me. Mom, there's nothing to eat. You want me to die? And I don't know about you, but your kids can just open up the refrigerator. There's no food in here. If you're like, yeah, there is food, you have to actually make it. I mean, there's no like already ready-made food. And you open it up, you're like, hey, there's leftovers from last night. And they're like, it wasn't so good last night. Why do you want me to eat it again? You know, I don't want to go through that a second time. I mean, it almost tasted better coming up than it did going down. You know, it just, I don't want to relive that. So maybe your teenagers like that. Jacob sounds like a typical teenager. Like I'm going to die unless you guys get me some food. A little bit dramatic. And uh, verse number three, And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. Verse number four, But Benjamin, Joseph's brother Jacob, sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest perhaps mischief befall him. Verse number five, And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan, and Joseph was the governor of the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Let's stop just for a second. Egypt is the world superpower in this day and age. And Joseph is, in effect, the prime minister of this world superpower. The prime minister is not going to be at every grain dispensary. Matter of fact, in this time, and as history records, there would have been hundreds of these dispensaries. It wouldn't have just been one. There would have been hundreds throughout the land. Isn't it amazing the providence of God that Joseph happens to be at the same place where his brothers show up? I think too often we just kind of look at Scripture and just kind of like, yeah, Joseph was there, and it just kind of happened. You know, there's only one grocery store in Egypt. No, this is this is a major city. There's a, there's thousands and hundreds of thousands of people and here they come to the one place where joseph is this shows me that god can get you anywhere at any time where he needs you to be and some of you you're so worried god i don't know if my moment's going to come i don't know if this opportunity's going to pass me by lord i'm so worried so i won't say yes to the pastor and get involved in that ministry or no i can't serve there because i just got to be free my calendar just got to be open because destiny may show up and i'm here to tell you christian That God will lead your steps. He will guide you. And some of you may be really scared or frustrated. Like, Lord, how are you going to bring this all together? And God's saying, just trust me. I can direct your steps. I can get you where you need to be, when you need to be there. And here's Joseph. He didn't know that day he was going to see his brother after 20 years. He had no clue what God was about to do. Not a clue. But God works on his timetable. And you maybe have been praying for somebody who's been away from the Lord. Or maybe you've been discouraged about something. God in a moment can turn your situation around. God can do something in a matter of minutes that you thought would never happen. So don't give up. Don't quit. Don't back away. Stay committed. There's a lot you could preach in that little passage right there. But that's not the message. That's what I like to call a little appetizer to whet your appetite to get you ready. All right? Let's continue reading. Isn't the Bible good, folks? Amen. All right. Five of you. Praise God. We got some good Christians here this morning. It's all right. It's going to be a great day in church. If you're new here, welcome. I don't take myself too seriously. We can enjoy church. It's going to be a good time in God's word this morning. Let's continue reading, though. And Joseph was the governor over all the land. And he was that sold all the people the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them but made himself a stranger unto them and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, From whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said unto them, You're spies to see the nakedness of the land. That's why you've come. And they said unto him, Nay, my lord, but to buy food that thy servants have come. We are all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are not spies. And he said unto them, Nay, but to see the nakedness of the land have ye come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Here they believed. And they're talking about the 12 brothers. And it's interesting that they would bring up 12 brothers to kind of prove their point. But yet, Joseph, he's here and he sees this scene. And Joseph's now going to have an interaction with people that he hadn't interacted with in 20 years. And the last interaction did not go well. It was devastating for Joseph. It was lucrative for his brothers. And it just is going to teach us some lessons, I think, about dealing with people. Because if we're going to live a better story, the people that come on the journey with you are going to say and have a lot of influence on the outcome of your story. You can look through literary characters and how there are characters that shape a character in a story. I mean, what would Sherlock Holmes be be without his sidekick, his, his faithful, his trusty Dr. Watson? I mean, it just kind of makes the character who he is. You think about uh, people like Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul was a, w- was a great and prolific uh, evangelist and speaker, but Barnabas was the one that encouraged and, and kind of was the guy that would get people together. And, and Barnabas really was the one that reached out to Paul initially. And many scholars believe if it hadn't been for a Barnabas, we may never have known what Apostle Paul, so Paul could have truly become. Why? Because he had a sidekick. There was somebody that came into his story that helped him immensely. The question is this. Who are you allowing into your story? Where are you allowing them to take you? What kind of interaction are you having? Sometimes we think that this is a good message for the young people to watch. Watch your friend. Watch you hang around. I don't want you hanging around with anybody who, who uh, uh, does this, this, and this. And you've got your grocery list of things that they can't do. But then you go off to work and you hang around people that do all, all that stuff, maybe even worse. Because they can drive and it's legal and they can do a whole lot of other things. And we think it's always good for the other people, but not for us we have to step back. We have to say, wait a minute, the people I'm allowing into my life, into my story, where are they taking me? Where are we going? What is their angle? What is their influence? Where are they headed? Do they go to church on a Sunday morning? Are they encouraging me in my walk with Christ? Are they telling me how great marriage is and how how I can uh, encourage me how to stay faithful to my spouse? Is this the type of person that's trying to help me to, to live a godly, holy life? Or is this somebody that's constantly trying to trying to push me and encourage me? We were in Mexico for my wife's birthday. I surprised her for a trip. And we're walking downtown on Cabo San Lucas. And uh, you know, there's the street vendors. And I'd never really been to um, uh, any country quite like this. I mean, uh, I've only traveled internationally one other time, and it was to Israel. And so this is kind of my first time going to another country like this. And I'm walking around, and my wife's like, oh, I'm used to this. She's used to uh, working with the street vendors and that type of stuff. And, man, these guys will sell you anything. And they held down a, a, a pack of cigars, and they were like, hey, you want to wanna buy some cigars, amigo? And I was like, no. And they were like, I got weed too, bro. And I was like, but like a perfect, like no accent though. It was crazy. It was like, mi amigo. And then it was like, but I got weed, broke. And it was like, what in the world? We just went to like two different extremes here, you know? And it'd be so easy for somebody just to fall into that. And that's some of your friends. Some of your friends are like, oh, we can do this. But then they just turn and they take you another direction. They just quickly divert your path. And some of you, you're wondering why you're where you are. And you're wondering why you're doing what you're doing. But some of you just need to step back and say, Man, this is where my friends are at. Water seeks its own level, meaning water levels out. You won't look in a cup and half the water's up here and half it's down here. No, it seeks its level. So if you have friends that all want to love God, serve God and be faithful to God, guess what? You're going to find that naturally your own heart's going to be there. But if you have friends that now church for losers and I don't know about this God thing and man, they're doing all kinds of terrible things. Guess what? You may try to do right, but they are going to pull you down. They may wear you away over time, but eventually it will happen. Time and time again, we've seen it. So this morning, I want to really dive into the impact of how do we deal with what I call toxic tagalongs, or the chronic critic, or poisonous people. You've met them. They're just those crazy people out there. And there really are crazy people out there. Every family has that crazy aunt or uncle or relative. That crazy cousin. There's somebody that we all know that you think they were dropped on their head when they were a baby. Or you think they were fed LSD or they were on something or there's just something not quite right with that cousin. And if you're sitting here thinking, no, everybody's normal in my family, guess what? You're the crazy person, all right? If you're thinking none of my family's normal, no, they're not. Everybody's got a crazy person, and it just might be you. But we don't judge. Welcome to church. Glad to have you, all right? Straight jackets are fine. We're okay with that. We're just glad you're here. But understand, we need to know how to deal with these people. So how do we have, how, how really, here's the question, how do we love people, how do we love unhealthy people without getting ourselves sick? How do we have an interaction with them? Here is Joseph. He's going to have an interaction with his brothers he hasn't seen in 20 years. And the last time they met, it did not go well. So now he's going to have an interaction with them. And we're going to see how Joseph treats them. Let's continue this passage. And I may read a lot of scripture because I want you to get a really big scope and a grasp. And for some of you, maybe you got behind in your Bible reading. This morning might catch you up. It pays to come to church. So let's skip down to verse number 17 of the same passage. The Bible says, and Joseph, he wanted to test and prove his brothers. And so he put them all together in custody three days. Basically, Joseph put his own brothers on house arrest. Didn't throw them into a dungeon, but just kind of put them on house arrest. Verse number 18, and Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live for I fear God. If ye be true, men, let one of your brethren be bound in the prison house. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses, but bring your youngest brother unto me. So shall your words be verified and ye shall not die. And they did so. And they said one to another, we are all very guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Verse 21 is a key verse. This is so key. Let's stop. We got to look at it for a second. I think all of us, at one point or another, would love to attend our own funeral. Maybe I'm just morbid like that. But I would love to just attend my funeral. You say, why? Because I'm nosy and because I want to know what people say about me. And guess what? You do too. You love to be in opportunities where people talk about you. I mean, maybe you've had somebody pocket dial you and guess what, they're having a conversation about you and hopefully it was positive but sometimes negative or somebody shows you a Facebook post or somebody's talking about you or they tag you and it's something good and just makes you feel good. Here is Joseph, he gets to eavesdrop on a situation where his brothers think Joseph's gone. But in this moment of transparency and honesty, Joseph gets a glimpse into the guilt that his brothers are feeling. Verse 21, again, let me read it for you. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty. This means, hey guys, we're guilty. And this is why this is happening to us. This is this is it. Isn't it amazing how a grocery shop trip, God just began to get a hold of their heart? God just began to soften these guys. After 20 years, I'm always amazed that God can use any situation to speak to us. I'm amazed at how you can step into a church service and the sermon may be on something totally different than what God is dealing with in your heart, but it's almost like God has got a poker and he's just poking that sensitive part where you know you need to get it right. You know you need to change. You know God's been speaking and dealing with you, but you've been resisting him. And man, the longer the pastor preaches, the more weight and guilt you feel. And he's not even talking about anything related to what you're experiencing. But it's God just saying, I'm gonna lead you. I'm gonna guide you. I've got a hold of your heart. And so this morning, this passage just kind of confirms that God is always speaking. God is always working. And God may be working on you in a way that might not be necessarily part of the message. But we've got to have a heart that says, God, I'm just open. And I'm just going to respond to what you want to say to my heart this morning. And so God is working on these brothers. And they said, we're guilty concerning our brother and that we saw his anguish. We saw the pain of his soul when he begged us. And we would not even hear him. We saw the pain he was in, and we just closed our ears. We just closed our eyes. We didn't even see it. We live in a world, Christians, where it's very easy to do that, isn't it? It's easy to just kind of say, you know what? I don't have time for the lost people. And we live as if there isn't really a literal hell. We live as if everybody's going to heaven, as if it's all good. I just got to be here and man, I'm just here to enjoy myself and just to have a good time and just, to, just, to, just to, it's all about me. We just pleasure and just kind of living for the moment and we just kind of have eyes that are closed off to what's happening in the world. I was listening to a preacher and he was talking about how a lady came up to him and said, would you pray for my cat? Now, you and I both know that I have no affinity for cats. Um, I, nah, I got to take that back. I do love cats. I just can't eat a whole one by myself. You know, so I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, it, it, cats and me just don't do well. But this lady came up to this pastor and said, would you pray for my cat? And the guy was like, are you kidding me? There is famine. There is war. There is sickness. And you want me to pray for your cat? How have we lost perspective? How have we lost sight of what truly matters? And Christians, we can lose sight of what really matters so easily this morning. And so we need to say, Lord, help me to have the right perspective. Lord, deal with me in what you want to deal with me on. And so these brothers, they said, we, we saw his anguish. We did nothing. Let's not be like these brothers in this passage who can see the pain and the hurt and the sorrow of a world and we just think, oh, well, we'll let the politicians deal with it. Oh, well, we'll let somebody else deal with it. Oh, well, we'll just let the education system correct it. Oh, well, we'll just let the government deal with it. No. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to make a difference. That's what living a better story is all about. God puts you in such a time as this to make a difference in your corner of the world. You're not here just to sit, soaking sour, Christian. You're here on mission from an almighty God. God has given you all power in heaven and earth so that you would accomplish his mandate and his mission for this world. Your mandate and your mission is to do something, not just to be here and to take up space. We're here so that we can take the word of God and understand that this is our, our orders. This is our marching orders. This is what we live by. This is what we march to. We're supposed to be busy doing something. But too often we get involved in our own world. We just kind of entertain ourselves. We just kind of medicate ourselves to the point where we just become in, inadequate to do what God has called us to do this morning. And so the brothers, their eyes were closed. And then Reuben spoke up and answered them, saying, verse 20 and 21. And Reuben answered him, saying, Spoke I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against this child? And he would not hear. Therefore, behold, does his blood, will his blood be required? And they know, knew not that Joseph understood them for he spoken in the by an interpreter and he turned himself away and from them and Joseph wept. Joseph got to, got to eavesdrop on this conversation where the brothers, they're feeling that guilt. They're feeling that God is working on their heart. They feel that God is getting a hold of them. And it was too much for Joseph because Joseph didn't know that one of the brothers stood up for him. He had no clue that Reuben stood up for him. He had no clue that Reuben said, let's not kill him. And it was too much. Joseph just had to turn away and he just wept. That amazes me. If somebody had hurt you that bad, somebody had put you in a pit for three days and three nights, and then sold you to slavery as you begged for your freedom, as you begged for your life, as you cried out for mercy and they had none, wouldn't you be a little bit angry? Wouldn't you be upset? Wouldn't you want to get even? Wouldn't you say, the Lord has given me an opportunity. Justice is mine. What a great opportunity this is. Isn't it amazing how they came to me at this time where I have all the power? I mean, these are the thoughts we think. We always think this. Man, one day I'm going to be a boss, and man, I'm going to get back at that guy. One day when when I'm a little bit bigger, a little bit better, I'm going to post that picture on Facebook, and I'm going to show everybody how much better I am than them. And we fantasize about this. But here, Joseph, that's not what he does. He should have had a hard, angry heart, but instead, he still has a soft heart. And as soon as he saw that his brothers were remorseful, he can't handle it. That's a good lesson for us Christians. People are gonna do us wrong in life, people are gonna hurt us, people aren't gonna treat us fairly, people are gonna do some terrible things to us. But can we keep a soft heart? A heart that knows how to still cry, a heart that still knows how to break. A heart that still knows how to love, a heart that still knows how to care. Or are we going to let this world turn us into something that is scarred and bitter and angry? But this morning, how do we handle this situation? First of all, would you write this down? Joseph doesn't run to their rescue. Joseph doesn't rescue his brothers. He doesn't. At this moment, you would think, hey, Joseph, take off your headdress. Joseph, wipe away the, ma- the the mascara whatever you're wearing. Speak to them in Hebrew, not in Egyptian, and tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. This is why you guys are here. Thank you for bowing down. I told you my dream would come true. Gotcha. It's going to be all right. Go get Dad. Go get the brothers. i got a spot all picked out for us. It's going to be great. It's overlooking the Nile River. There's a nice, cool breeze in the summertime, and we're never going to have to work again. We're going to have all this food. We're going to have all this servants. We're going to have all this wealth. Come on, guys. It's all all taken care of. Joseph doesn't do it. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us in verse number 24, and he turned himself away and he wept. But then again in verse number 25, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is, one, uh, excuse me, in this passage, Reading a chapter ahead in verse number 25, here's what he says. Then Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into a sack, to give them provision for the way. Thus did he unto them. And they laded their asses with corn and departed thence. And one of them opened their sacks to give his donkey provisions in the inn. And then he spied the money. For behold, it was in the sack, in the mouth of the sack. and It was in the grain. And there it was. And that's when they realized. Wait a minute. Joseph has given us some money back, but Joseph sends them on their way. He doesn't come to the rescue. And this is what's hard when we're dealing with what I call the toxic tagalongs. It's real easy to run to their rescue. I'm a parent. I've got two kids, and this is especially hard with children, isn't it, parents, <laughs> to run to the rescue? Just want to save them in a moment's notice. Children are funny. They're kind of in self-destruct mode for usually about the first two decades of their life. It's just, uh, how can I destroy myself in the most epically explosive way possible? I mean, they do it with such grandeur. It's amazing. I mean, no, 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 there's no small, hey, I'm just going to kind of do this quietly. I remember I lived in Morgan Hill and I found a bottle of children's Tylenol and I thought, man, grape tastes awesome. Grape is good. So I took a whole bottle of children's Tylenol. My parents immediately drove down as fast as they could down Santa Teresa into Cottle Hospital. And there I had my stomach pumped for all, night. It was great. I drank charcoal and uh, got to get all that out of my system. But even I remember those days. We're just kind of self-destruct mode, and sometimes we just want to run to our kids' rescue. And I understand when they take a bottle of children's Tylenol and ingest that, that could shut down their liver and kill. It could easily kill them. You need to run to their rescue. But sometimes we run to their rescue all too soon, instead of letting them understand the gravity and severity of their choices. Instead, we're there to swoop in, save them. Instead, we're there to just kind of make sure nothing bad happens instead of understanding that, guess what? You make a poor decision, you reap a poor consequence. And the younger the child is, it's a great time to understand that there can be consequences. But today, we've got such a safety net over our children and such a safety net where they they feel like, man, I'm invincible and everything I do just works. And they don't know that, hey, it's mom and dad that does their homework. Mom and dad picking up after them. And you say, well, my kids they just won't we as parents need to stop saying my kids just won't we need to start saying i have not taught them to i know i'm a young parent and i know this is difficult but the reality is we are mentors of our children we are molders of their character and it is up to us to lead them and to teach them. And it is not easy. But we need to say, hey, I'm going to help them to become this, to do this. Otherwise, I'm setting them up for failure. I remember my mom, she came over to me one day and she said, hey, Micaiah, can you reach that button on the washing machine? And I was all proud. I was eight years old and said, sure, mom, I can reach that high squeaky voice. And I reached it. I pushed the button all proud thinking I'm going to get a nickel or I'm going to get a sucker and... Uh, Man, what day and age did I live in? Like 1932? I got a nickel, a shiny nickel, you know, in the world. I'm sure it was more than a nickel, okay? But, uh, you know, I pushed it and then she looked at me and she was like, good, you can now do your own laundry. I was like, what? And because I could reach, she was like, yeah, you're gonna learn, I'll show you, but you can reach it so you can do it. Not only that, I think sometimes we come to our, on the rescue of people in other situations, family members. And we just feel like we gotta run to the rescue as if it's the Christian thing to do. You understand that God sometimes has to work in somebody's life, and it's hard to step back, and especially when you know you could step into a situation. I don't mean to get political, but our country's in a very difficult situation because we've ran to people's rescues and bailed them out financially. Now people feel like, I don't have to work a job. I'll just rely on the government. They're going to give me free medical, free college. They're going to give me free housing. I don't have to do anything. We've created that culture. We call it a welfare mentality. We've created it as a nation. And some of us, we are frustrated that 30% of our paycheck goes to somebody who could work but does not work. And it causes great angst. And some of you may not like to have a political conversation. Sometimes I like to because it's just fun to just stir up the hornet's nest every once in a while. Just kind of, you know, kick it a little bit and see where people's attitudes are and everything. And so sometimes we see that we created that, but we can create that in our jobs. We can create that in our homes. It's this mentality that, hey, this person will always come to my rescue. And Joseph, he does the hardest thing. He doesn't. But people can change. But Joseph was going to give them the space where God could do the changing. See, you and I, we think we can change that person, but we can't. Joseph stepped back, and he understands there's a process these people need to go through so they can actually change. The process is this, and you can write it down. There's confrontation, confession, and then change. Confrontation, confession, and change. You see, Joseph did the hardest thing, confronted his brothers. And he wasn't nice. He wasn't easy. The Bible says he spoke roughly to them. There had to be confrontation. People need to understand their actions. But today, we just kind of minimalize it. Oh, it's okay. It was just a mistake. You didn't mean to do it. No, they did. They did it. They didn't understand that their actions, whether they had just kind of checked out, they understand that they are responsible for their actions. And so if people are going to change, you have to allow them to go through the process of change. The process of change is confrontation. And I know we live in a society that we say, no PC, don't confront. We don't want to oh, hurt anybody, offend anybody, but we do need to confront. There's a good way to confront. And the reason I think we've kind of done a 180 on confrontation is because confrontation's been handled so poorly. We've been in confrontation where there's no love, where there's no grace, where there's not true concern about a person's well-being. You can confront a person and say, hey, this is for your well-being. This is because I care about you. This is because I want better for you. And so we confront, and Joseph confronted them. And so that's when they saw that they could have this turnaround there's a great little phrase, until you face it, you can't fix it. Until you face it, you can't fix it. And some of us, we just don't want to face anything. We're ostriches, just bury our heads in the sand and hope that it all gets better. And it never does. It never just goes away. Try it in your marriage relationship. Just try to ignore the problems. They never go away. You can go years and the problems never go away. You can go decades and the problem is still there. It's amazing how those memories can just keep coming back up and those situations are on replay. So we've got to go through confrontation where we confront them. But then we've got to have a point where there is true confession. These brothers, they came to a point and they said 20 years later, we did wrong. We were wrong. It took them 20 years. They had 20 years to get it right. They had 20 years to get a search party. They had 20 years to tell their dad. 20 years. But it wasn't until they had been confronted and they had put in house arrest where God began to get a hold of their heart. But it started with confrontation. And if we are going to be a type of people that say, no, I'm just not going to confront. And it's hard to confront people. But we have to. Because then we just kind of have that we just act like everything's okay. Like we just act like everything's fine. I don't know about you, but we can't be that way. We as a church can't be that way. You and your home, your marriage, your relationships, we can't be that way. Where somebody says, how are you doing? Everything's fine. What does that mean when somebody says everything's fine? Nothing is fine. Like if your spouse says that, if your girlfriend or boyfriend says it's fine, it's really not fine. It just, it's not. And if you're new to this whole game, just understand that that's not what it means. It means that everything is awful, it's bad Fix it now. Drop everything. Call in sick from work. We've got some issues we need to resolve. So there's got to be that healthy confrontation, which leads to healthy confession. And after the confession, that's that's when change can happen. Because until a person admits they're wrong, they cannot change. This is why you'll have addicts that'll live on the street. And until they understand that their behavior is wrong, they will never change. Until somebody admits that they've got a problem, they can't. That's the 12-step program. That's the beginning of the 12 steps. Admit you can't save yourself. All 12 steps are taken directly out of scripture. That's to remind you and I that we need a higher power, that higher power being God. We need him. We can't change ourselves. But it starts with this admission. The Bible has a biblical word. It calls it repentance. That you and I need to repent of wrong behavior. That you and I need to say, God, I've done this wrong. I need to change. But Lord, I need your help to do it. And God then steps in and does the changing in our lives. You see, change doesn't make us free from failure, but it does conform us into his image, and that's what God wants. God wants to conform us to his image. In chapter 44, we see the most epic story of a guy by the name of Judah. And it's fascinating that Judah goes, and he has this speech before Joseph. You see, let me fast forward just a little bit, and we'll get to the real meat of the text. But Joseph's brothers come back with Benjamin, so there's 11 and Joseph is going to take Benjamin and keep Benjamin a slave. But at that moment, Judah steps up. Judah is not the oldest brother. Reuben is the oldest brother. Judah is second in line. Scripture does not have a lot of good things to say about Judah. Let me go in just a little bit of the background. Judah was the one who said, let's sell Joseph into slavery. That was Judah's idea. You can read it in Genesis chapter number 37. It was Judah. It was Judah who committed incest with his daughter-in-law. Not a good guy. There are so many issues with Judah, and you could just study his life. Judah is that person that's just a bad dude. Not a good guy. But Judah speaks up. And it's Judah who says to Joseph, He looks his brother in the eye, not even knowing that Joseph is his brother. He looks him in the eye and he tells the story of what he did wrong. He said, we had a brother. We threw him into a pit. We dipped his coat in blood and we told him to our father that we've killed him. And he confesses. And then Judah says, please don't take Benjamin because I already saw my dad's heart break once. And if you take Benjamin, it will kill my father. And I could not bear the death of my father. Which I've got to stop just for a second. And I need you to understand something about scripture. Joseph's 10 brothers did not have an issue with Joseph. And if you look at the scripture and you think this passage is all about J- J- Joseph's 10 brothers have an issue with him. No, Joseph's 10 brothers, their real issue was with their dad. They all had daddy issues. It was all about getting back at dad. It was all about, you're going to pick a favorite? Well, guess what? I'm going to take that favorite from you. It was all about getting even with dad. And some of you, you're trying to get back at somebody who's hurt you, and you're using other people, and you're hurting other people because you are hurting Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And if you're hurting this morning and you're lashing out against a spouse because uh, you had a mother or a father that didn't treat you right, your spouse is not the problem. You're hurting. And so Judah, he lashed out at Joseph, but his real issue was with his father. But you can see in his tone, the first time he was to get even with his father, but this time he says, I couldn't bear the death of my father. I couldn't bear to see him experience that again change of heart a total 180 in the life of judah and it's powerful the change that can happen in revelation chapter number 5 the bible talks about that who is worthy to open up the seal and the bible says this that the lamb is worthy and then it goes on to say this that the lamb of the tribe of judah isn't it amazing That the worst guy, the worst of Joseph's brothers, has such a change where God says, Hey, my son Jesus is going to come from his line, from his tribe. It's going to be the tribe of Judah that's going to be mentioned throughout the rest of the scripture. It's the tribe of Judah that is going to be the tribe where God really blesses and favors. It is Judah that is mentioned in the New Testament all the way through. It's Judah that we hear the most about. God can change anybody in this room this morning. So if you've got somebody in your life you're about to give up on, you've got a situation you're about to. To give up on, I want to encourage you that they just might be a Judah, that they just need somebody to allow them to take place through that, that confrontation, the confession, and then real change can happen. And so don't give up in this moment. You may be discouraged, you may be uh, disheartened, but you can't quit on this. But then notice Joseph didn't run to the rescue, but then notice Joseph what he did do. Joseph doesn't resist the chance for their redemption. In chapter 45, verse number one, after Judah gave his speech, the Bible says, then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them and he stood by him and he cried and caused every man to go from him and there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brothers. He said, man, they've had a change of heart. They've had a change of heart. And at this point, imagine the shock on the brother's face. Joseph has just revealed himself. He's alive 20 years later. And Joseph now has a moment. A moment where he can get back at them. But Joseph doesn't. Instead, I want you to see that Joseph's reaction was not worse than their actions. And that should be something we learned from. Because how often has somebody done something that was a wrong action, but our reaction was worse? They made you upset, so you slashed their tires. They did something to you, and man, you're gonna do something worse to them. Man, you hurt me, don't worry, I'll get you back. I call it like this. I say it's like swatting a fly off of somebody's head with a hammer. It's like hold still. I'm gonna get that fly off your head with this ten pound hammer. Just hold real still. I got hands like a surgeon. You know, I mean it's just it's gonna it's gonna do some major damage. Why? Because our reaction is often worse than the action. And that's where we all get into trouble, isn't it? Where instead of restoring somebody that they've had a change of heart, we're like, good, now I'm in the power seat. Now I'm in control. Now I can take over this situation. And our reaction is far worse. Here's something I want you to write down, church, if you would. It's not about putting people in their place. It's about putting yourself in people's place. Did you get it? It's not about putting people in their place. It's about putting yourself in their place. See it from their perspective. See it from their angle. And your reaction will totally change. You'll have a 180 on a reaction. But too often, we just fly off the handle. We just get even. We just get upset. and We just want things to go our way. They hurt us. I'm going to hurt you worse. Because that's just the way we roll. And that's just the way we do it. It's the flesh. It's wrong. It's sinful. You need to repent of it. Don't do it in the home. Don't do it at your job. Don't do it in your school. We as Christians should be done with that behavior. It's horrible that I see Christians do it. We Christians are awful. Somebody hurts us, man, we can get back. And I've seen it so many times Where somebody looks back and they say, you're a Christian? How could you do such a horrible thing? How could you say such a horrible thing? How could you have language like that? How could you act like that? It's because we as Christians somehow feel justified because we know, well, I'm going to heaven one day so I can just live however I please. It shows me we're not letting the Holy Spirit rule and reign in our heart. That's what it shows me. It shows me that we, though we have grown physically, our spiritual maturity is that of a child. My children throw fits. My children overreact when it's bath time. My children overreact when I take the iPad, and that's the sign that they're a child. What happens when we overreact, it's a sign that we are spiritually immature. You may have the entire book of Revelation memorized. You may know all the nuances of Leviticus, but I'm here to tell you, if you are overreacting over a stupid situation, you spiritually have not arrived, and you've got a long way to go. And this message may be hitting you right between the eyes, but that's where it needs to hit us. Christianity needs to be shoe leather Christianity, where the rubber meets the road, where it's practical, where you take a message like this and you live it tomorrow. Because things are going to happen tomorrow that's going to tick you off, make you upset, and your natural fleshly reaction is, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get back. You're going to say that word to me. I've got a 10 more that I'll get you right back. And we've got to step back as believers and say, nope, Christ died for me. He loves me. I have a home in heaven. I don't need to act that way. I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I will act like that new creature because Christ is in me. I have the mind of Christ. I will act like Christ. But it starts with our heart. Out of the abundance of the mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's, what, what, what comes out in that situation is, reveals what's in our heart. And some of us, we're wondering why things are happening. It's because of where our hearts are at. We need to step back and say, Lord, What work do you need to do in my heart? What needs to change? You say, but how do you do that, pastor? I see what you're saying, but I just don't know if it's possible in my life. Here's where we're going to close. This is where we're spurring the horse to the barn. This is where we're wrapping things up. Joseph repeated the right behavior until it became a routine. Joseph repeated the right behavior until it was a routine. He repeated it over and over. Hey, when his brothers, they sold him into slavery as a slave, he did a good job. When Potiphar's wife accused him, guess what? He still, when he was in prison, he did a good job and then when he's the second in command with Pharaoh, he still did a good job. His reaction was not an overreaction. He still did right. He was training himself. He was preparing himself because one day he was going to be an authority. Some of you have great aspirations, great dreams of having position, but because you overreact, you're never going to see that next position. You're never going to see that next level because you cannot control your reactions, your emotions. The Bible says a man that, uh, that has a, 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 a can't control his spirit is like a city without walls. No protection. Just, just anybody can get to him. Anything can get in. Any little comment. Somebody could just look at you wrong and you get mad. Somebody could just say something that you're saying, that's directed at me. Man, I know why they said that on Facebook. They're talking to me. They're mad at me. Really? You don't even know that person. That popped up on your friend's page. They were talking to their friend. Matter of fact, it even says to John, not to you. Why are you taking that so personal? If you take it personal, you make it personal. And that's what we as Christians too often do. But if you want to have the right behavior, Joseph repeated right things until it was his routine. You see, the pattern is what makes this thing possible. How's your pattern? For some of you, your pattern's like set in stone. And it's hard to change. But then I want you to see that your potential is the portal to a better story you have great potential. God can do some great things through you. But until you say, you know what? God, I'm overreacting to these things. Lord, it is a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. Joseph lost 20 years of his life, people. But his reaction was still to restore the relationship with his brothers. His brothers were toxic tagalongs. They were unhealthy. But Joseph knew how to deal with them. They weren't going to pull him off his story. Joseph had it in his power. He could have thrown him in prison. He could have executed, could have done whatever he wanted. But he knew it would have brought shame and reproach and would have destroyed his family. Instead, he said, no, I'm going to handle this wisely. How are we handling situations? How are you handling the people that are coming into your life? Are you quick to fly off the handle? Quick to overreact? Or do we step back and say, you know what? God has this in control. I'm going to trust in him. Let's all stand as we close.